welcome to Namaste Real. This is Jay, and I'm here with Hannah McLeod. Hello. We're doing our podcast today on a bunch of different things, and we're sitting out on my porch. It's raining outside. We're eating fresh peaches and having some champagne, because we can. What a wonderful morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad gig. Mm And so um, I'm so excited to have you here today. I've known Hannah, full disclosure, for a long time, since mm-hmm. she was in elementary school. As long as I can remember. Yeah. thinking about that. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> so her brother, Liam, is uh, between, it's funny, y'all are all kind of stagger stepped because mm-hmm. Mason is the caboose, he's the baby, and then um, Liam, and then Jack, and then you, and mm-hmm. then Megan. So our kids have all been friends. I met Liam his first day of kindergarten when your mom brought him in. Isn't <laughs> Oh my God, beautiful child. I remember them walking in thinking, what a beautiful child and a beautiful mother. They look just alike. And now he looks so much more like your dad. It's so weird. Like he's just totally changed. He's kind of a mix though. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I've known Hannah a long time. So this will be fun for me to kind of dig at some layers of Hannah that I may not know. So first question to jump in is, um, what is your favorite yoga pose and why is it your favorite pose? Ooh, that's a good question. So I was thinking about how I got introduced to yoga this morning, which was through Jay. Um, You taught yoga at our um, swim practice growing up. So we would do like weekly yoga sessions. So at that point in life, it was definitely Shavasana. When we were all new to yoga and we were learning about what this practice was and how at that point really how it could help our swimming was the big point but we learned about shavasana and it was like oh my gosh you want us to lay here with our eyes closed and do nothing and be peaceful and at that point in life that was like a huge huge deal for us I remember being so excited about that I will say now probably downward dog that's something I always come back to and I just it helps me feel like you know, do I feel strong right now? Do I feel weak? Do I feel flexible? Um, just hanging out in that position and breathing is probably one of my favorite things. Yeah, I would say downward dog. Yeah, it's funny. Mine's <laughs> down dog too, but mine is down dog at the end of class. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the first, yes. <laughs> and that's just me. The first down dog, I'm like, oh, what's mm-hmm. going on here? And then by the end of class, my down dog is like, ah. <sighs> Yeah. You know, so mine is the end of the class down dog. But yes, down dog's my favorite too. That feeling of just relaxing into it, it it helps me like understand where I am mm-hmm. in my yoga at that yeah, time. I think me too. And for me, chaturanga is where I can always tell if I'm getting sick. Mm. If I can't do chaturanga, here it comes. Oh, no. I'll get a cold or something. And then the next day, my allergies <laughs> oh my are bothering gosh. me. Took me a, an embarrassingly long time to make that connection. Yeah, I was about to say if I was sick every time I couldn't do chaturanga, I would be sick all the time. Yeah, well, luckily it doesn't happen terribly often. And I actually don't do chaturanga that much anymore just because I had shoulder issues. Mm. And I it was really hard for me to let go of it. It was hard for my ego to let go of it because it was my nemesis pose. But I've actually discovered you can have a very fulfilling yoga practice without chaturanga. I just, my ego took a really long time to get that message, Mm -hmm. as you know. Um, All right, so next question is, why start Rumble? Mm. So this was really a team effort at the Smoky Mountain News. I think Dad was the first person that mentioned it. He, my dad is editor and publisher of Smoky Mountain News, Scott McLeod. He subscribes to a few women's newsletters from Asheville. You know, he subscribes to a ton of newsletters because we've really been trying to get the Smoky Mountain News Extra up and running. Um, We now have it out a few times a week. And he decided 
at some point along the way, he said, we want to start a women's newsletter. And me and our editor, Jesse Stone, were really excited when he mentioned that, the idea of having a female space within Smoky Mountain News. It was, it was such a good idea, you know, because we have all of those great women at Smoky Mountain News. We have access to all of our local news. We have access to so many advertisers in the region, travel information in the region. So it just, from there, spun into we can make a space that creates conversation and ideas and sharing, you know, everything from products to travel to where to spend your time outside with your kids, everything like that. Um, so it was really easy. It was really natural. And I'm just so excited. We finally got our first one out this week. So. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, it came out I yesterday. love the name. I just finished Dare, you know, the Dare to Lead. The Brene Brown? Yes. Yes. I just finished her book, and it was life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I flippin' loved that book. I actually have a hard copy of it because I can tell I'm going to want to go back and read and read and read again. Yeah. So I'm curious as to the name comes from that book. Correct. And that was a deliberate thing, I'm a, an intentional thing on your part, I'm assuming. Yes. And so you were you just like the idea of what she calls rumble in the book, which is more of a discussion as mm -hmm. opposed to like a blame game. Yeah. So the name was actually funny. We spent... The entire time from when we decided to have a female newsletter, months, up until last week, we still, yeah, last week we still did not have a name. Because we were throwing out ideas, we were, you know, went from a sentence down to one word, and we were trying to figure out a name, and our ideas kept getting shot down. You know, like, my dad was like, mm, don't like that. Our designer said, no, he didn't like this. And at the end, I was like, why do their opinions matter? Like, this is a female newsletter. These are men Amen. telling us that we <laughs> should not have these names. And then Jesse came up with the idea from Brene Brown's book to do Rumble. And immediately I was like, yes, that is, that's amazing. I love that name. We brought it to Scott and he was like, uh, I don't know. It has this fighting connotation to it. And I was like, that's not a bad thing. Like women have to fight for everything that they have gotten and that we will continue to get in the world, you know? So I think that one, for people who don't know the Brene Brown definition, idea of the word, it is beneficial to see rumble and to think maybe about a fight or a something, you know, building up. I think that is a good connotation for it to have. And then when you know the Brene Brown definition, it just really fills it out, you know, that it's a productive conversation together. And um, so that's how we arrived at the name. It took a long time, and I'm so glad that Jesse threw that out there really at the last minute. That's yeah, really that's a great story. That's kind of funny. Um, it reminds me, I just read the book Untamed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that just finished it also. Yeah, I loved that book. Yeah. And there's a, there's, it's like little short chapters, and that one chapter that really resonated with me, and it's, and it kind of is similar to the story you just told, about when she's got a bunch of teenage kids over watching a movie, and one of them is her son, I think, and she opens the door to ask if they want a snack, and the boys immediately go, yeah, I want a snack, and the girls all look at each other. Yes. Bef and before they answer, and then one girl goes, no, we're fine. And her big <laughs> takeaway from that was, and I think she's dead on, women look outside for validation mm -hmm. and for help with decisions. Yes. Men don't do that. Right. 
And I found that really profound because I know mm-hmm. that is true. And I know that that is one of the big takeaways I got from her book was basically saying, why do we do that? We uh-huh. don't really need to do that, but we're culturally conditioned to do that. Mm-hmm. And so... And understanding those conditions, I, I absolutely adored that book as well. And what was so profound for me was that that looking inward is so important and like it's okay to understand what you want and what you know and go by that but it's also okay that we have these conditionings but to understand what they are to parse them out and to understand where they come from so it's okay that we have kind of our own biases against women that's how we were trained to be but to figure those out and kind of and that will start the process of undoing, like she says, undoing that training that we've received. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of acknowledging that it's there. Yes. You can't you can't make decisions or acknowledge that your own voice if you don't ac- accept that there's an inner training that we have. And you have to be able to separate the two. Mm-hmm. In your mind, what's my inner voice and what's my inkling to be accepted or to do what I think people want me to do or what, you know what I'm saying? And yes. I think just that, I think of that as a parigraha non-attachment mm-hmm. you know it's okay to acknowledge it's like my husband would say when he writes music or plays an instrument you have to know the rules to break the rules that's why mm-hmm. he's a big fan of music theory yeah and I sort of think of this the same way okay. like it's okay to acknowledge they're out there but it's okay also to break them or not follow them if it feels like that's what you're meant to do right yeah so going back to the newsletter it makes me think about how if this were you know a normal project and somebody men in the office were in charge of coming up with a design or a name they would have the email would have gone more like this is the name we've come up with this is the design direction we're going in instead of this is our idea what do you guys think what's your input you know yeah that process dragged out but if you know there's that ability to just say this is what we want this is what we're going to name it Um, Yeah. And it's okay to speak up for yourself and you can do it nicely. Yes. You know, you don't have to be mad about it, Mm -hmm. but it, it, but sometimes it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So what is your yoga medicine and what is your yoga dessert? Do you know what I mean by that? Okay. Explain a little bit, but I think I do. So I look at, um, yoga medicine as what you don't like, but you need Mm -hmm. like nobody likes to take medicine, but sometimes you need to. And I, like at dessert is dessert is what we're we're attracted to what we're good at Mm -hmm. so we generally love classes we're good at but we and that's what we gravitate to we don't gravitate to the classes that we need because they're challenging either mentally or physically Mm -hmm. you know and I think it's important to know that for yourself because I think it's really easy to just go through it's not yoga you're not being mindful Mm -hmm. if you just take a class oh I kind of like this class yeah I'm kind of bendy and I'm good at this you know what I mean that's not the point of it yeah it's to find balance in even your practice like and, and you can take it off your mat because I think it's important to do that too mm-hmm. so knowing the context what is your medicine and what is your dessert so that's really easy to answer actually I am I'm not like a super flexible person but that's definitely a natural ability I'm naturally more flexible than I would say I don't know some of the population but um so my sister teaches core power yoga, and my god sister, Eliza, also teaches core power yoga, but she teaches the more yoga-type classes than the strength stuff. So my medicine is definitely any type of, like, 
physical yoga, right? Where you're twisting, you're doing chaturanga, you've got some ab work in there. Um, twisting for me is a big thing. Like I hate it while I'm doing it, you know, but then you get to the end of a class and you feel like you're just wrung out. You feel amazing. Um, so my dessert is definitely the bending, the stretching, and the medicine is the power. Um, so at a recent, my sister's bachelorette party, it was a few weekends ago, and it was just six of us down at the beach. We just chilled at the beach house, went to the beach, but Eliza taught a um, yoga class on Sunday morning. And there was so much twisting involved. And I remember it was the end of a, like a, just a fun beach weekend, and I was like, I don't want to do a workout right now. You know, that was my mental thought. I was like, oh my gosh, like Eliza was so happy and upbeat, but we're here twisting, we're in chaturanga. And I was like, this is so hard. I'm just, you know, this is not where I want to be right now. And we finished that class and I felt amazing all day. You know, it was a long drive home. My mood was better. I felt so good. But while I was in it, I was, you know, pushing against it the whole way through. So I think that's an example of how like, I don't like the power yoga at all. When I go to Megan's classes, the hot power yoga, I'm like, I don't wanna be here. Yeah. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh wow, I feel great. You yeah, know? that's how I think you know it's your medicine is because the, ang the angry voice comes in your head. Yes. Like you wouldn't believe some <laughs> of the things I've said to teachers in my head in a class where I'm like, dad, and fuck you, I don't want to mm -hmm. do this right now, I hate you right now, yeah. I hate this pose, and then there's just this dialogue in your head, and then by the end you're like, all right, I like you again, mm -hmm. it's okay, but yes, very astute, you I, you did understand the concept very well, which is good, because I think it's important to know that. It is, yes. Because we tend to avoid our medicine yeah. at all costs as oh, a general yeah. My role. home practice will rarely ever include anything yeah. powerful. That's how we go to other people, because exactly. <laughs> they make us do what we wouldn't do. Yes. <laughs> so what advice would you give your future self 30 years from now hmm. to myself right now yeah in other words if you knew you could write in a time capsule something to say to your 30 year from now self what would you say to that person? oh from now to my 30 yes okay in the future so how old are you now I am 24 so you'll this you'd be 54 to my 54 which is my age self. well okay oh this is a good question <laughs> so what would you say to her well, I would hope that she is, first of all, still doing yoga, still being active, and still being trying to be healthy. Um, gosh, but I hope that she has followed her dreams, that she has continued writing and trying to connect with people. Man, that's a hard question. <laughs> it is a hard question, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's hard to know, like, where you'll be like, at where that will point. I be? But it's more of a flavor thing, like yes. a philosophy thing. Okay. You know, like, what do you hope she still has mm -hmm. in her life or what, you know, because you said hopes and dreams. Yeah. You hope she's followed them. Yeah, uh -huh. I think that's important. Yeah. Because sometimes we can get stuck living a life out of habit. Right. Other people's expectations mm -hmm. versus intention. Yeah. So you're basically saying you want to live a life of intention and that you hope you're still doing that. Yes. In 30 years. Yeah. And also, I think the little things. Like, I hope I still have held on to what makes me happiest. Megan, my sister, asked me such a good question the other day that she heard on the Brene Brown podcast. I think she always asks people, like, something like, what is one moment in your day that brings you joy? That's a typical moment. You know, it's not something crazy, but it's something you mm -hmm. can do every day that brings you joy. And me and Megan were thinking about that question, and we were both like, yeah, honestly, to sit down with a glass of wine with someone that you love at the end of the day, like, you know, your parents or your sister or your significant other, and just talk and drink is something that brings me so much joy. You know, share food, share drink, share conversation. Mm -hmm. So I so hope that I still have those moments. 
Yeah, and I think the little moments are more important yes. than the big moments, you know, because you can change your whole day with a little moment. Right, and they're so attainable. You can do it every day. You know? Yeah, we tend to look in big picture terms, mm -hmm. and I think big picture terms are scary, and it's yeah. easy for us to stay. I read a great quote, the comfort zone is an awesome place, but nothing grows there. <laughs> and I love that, because isn't that true? Yes. I mean, it's scary to get out of your comfort zone, but I think we all need to be drop kicked out of it occasionally. Yeah. Um, but that's scary for people. So mm -hmm. little changes, little moments, I think are less intimidating. Right. And easier for people to wrap their head around. Yeah. Just little simple things. So I agree with you on that. So my next question is, how do you practice your yoga off of your mat? Ooh, that is a good question. So I'm, and it doesn't have to be a big broad, like I'm going to save the world kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. It can be just a simple not. little thing. <laughs> it is more simple. So my first introduction to yoga, like I was saying, was through swim practice. It was very physical. You know, like how does this assist my swimming is pretty much how we thought mm -hmm. of it, how it was presented right. to us. And I think it was not until college where I was taking different yoga classes and really started thinking about that mental aspect of tying the physical act set aspect to your to the mental side of things and then even from there without the physical side you know being in a mental state that is clear and taking the time to understand yourself and you know things like that um so I guess the mental side for me outside of yoga practice is for me right now it's a lot about understanding myself because I'm in a that phase in my life where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and all the women that I talk to say like oh that never ends so you know you'll still be trying to no, figure it, doesn't. it out I'm still down the road <laughs> I'm still surprised all the time that I'm an adult yeah so being comfortable in that space and like figuring out how to be okay not knowing what's coming next we're all in where that we're space going. right now. Yeah. And I don't. I think a lot of people are not comfortable in that space. Right. And yoga helps you with that because, you know, on a smaller scale, in a crazy day, if you can put your brain in your body on a mat for an hour or 30 minutes, you learn how to bring your brain to a similar space just when life is going on around you, you know, how to be comfortable when things are crazy and be okay with it and understand what you need and how to help yourself and just keep going, you know, and be as intentional as possible. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that to me, um, the advanced yoga is not the crazy hard physical postures. I've never felt right. like it was. And that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. I've always felt like the advanced stuff is the breathing and the intentional taking it off of your mat. Like yes. when you're driving in traffic, I have a lot of yoga like moments in my car <laughs> <laughs> where somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm like, you fuck. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, whoo, and through the nose, out through the nose. Yes. So I try really hard. That's how I take my yoga off my mat is mm -hmm. that reactive sort of way to whatever you know and yes. it's hard to do yeah but I think that that is where a lot of the next step is is to kind of try to use it in your daily life and daily situations mm -hmm. because I think sometimes if we can just not get especially right now with a worldwide pandemic it's an election year yeah. black lives matter there's a lot of really stressful really um heavy stuff going on in the world right now yeah. And I think it's easy to be swept up in watching the news all the time. Your dad and I have talked about this. Mm -hmm. How 24-7 news can be toxic. 
Yes. If all you look at is depressing, because the the news is really now about ratings. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, you know, good news doesn't make ratings. So they it's they are invested. A lot of news agencies are invested in telling you what awful thing happened because, and then we're in a fight, flight, or free state all the time if yes. we're watching that news. So finding that balance, and I think getting on your mat or getting outside and unplugging is an important part of that off your mat work because I do think that right now people are just watching the news all the time. They're listening to all the things and they're just feeling a sense of hopelessness. Right. And if you can just get on your mat or walk out and take a hike yes. and just have a sense of, okay, there are a lot of really heavy things going on in the world right now, but in my own little bubble, I can still find little tiny things to be joyful about or happy about. And it doesn't mean I don't care about the heavy things. Yeah. It just means I have one life to live and sinking into the mire of the heaviness of the world doesn't necessarily translate to um, changing anything or enjoying your life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And that's what in the Smoky Mountain News Extra this morning I was putting together yesterday and Dad had a little note about how the world is crazy and so many things are going on and it's important to be invested in change and progress but it's also just as important to find distraction. And it was a little piece about tomato pie and how it's mm -hmm. delicious and late summer tomatoes are yummy but just that, that finding distraction and finding not necessarily distraction, but a way back to yourself from everything exterior going on is really important. And what you said about breathing really resonates because I, you know, you hear about breathing in yoga all the time, but it wasn't until my teacher training where I have to, you know, read that book about breathing that I understood it. And we did so much breathing exercise and I really... Like, for the first time, it was like, oh, my gosh, I understand what they're saying. And you learn how to do it, and you can use it in your daily life. And, like, just was that Wednesday night it, at the bar, it was just a frustrating night. You know, I'm bartending for the first time now, so it's um, a big change from serving, but I love it. But it gets hectic, and by the end, I was, like, almost shaking. You know, it had been crazy. People were drunk and angry, and I was like, right. I don't know how to deal with people. And then we closed and I left and I just found myself like taking really slow deep breaths and having that tool as a way to calm yourself is something that everybody should learn. Yeah. And that's what so I try valuable. to get people to understand is that calisthenics of yoga is just, I mean, it's not to me that, you know, it's, it's what you see and I get that it's a per perception's reality. Mm -hmm. So on Instagram and everybody sees all these crazy hard yoga poses and they think yoga is not for me. Well, to me, yoga is the breath is yoga. Yes. No matter what you're doing, if you're mindful and you're connected with your breath, it's yoga. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is. And that the breath is where I'm, I'm right there with you there. I just read a book called breath. Um, by James Nestor, okay. and he talks about how literally we are we have had physiological changes in our face as we've kind of moved through the years as a race because of how we've changed how we eat. It's a interesting. really interesting book, and he talks about how all the snoring and the sleep apnea is as a result of this. We don't chew our food like we used to. Ooh. Yeah, you need to read that book. That's it's really, really, really good, and I'm a breath junkie. Yeah. And, and he literally did an experiment where he taped his nose shut, and he was a mouth breather. <laughs> for like two weeks and he went to hell in a handbasket oh like, like his every like he literally like his vitals everything was and it just makes you realize how 
breathing through your nose is really how we're designed to breathe yeah. and that because of our jaw changing and our face shape changing it's actually affected our breath and so yoga is even more important now because of those changes because we as a race don't breathe properly mm -hmm. you know like we he talks a lot about your oxygen versus your CO2 your carbon dioxide levels and how most people don't exhale all the way and you know to me breath is something everyone can do yes. even if you don't want to do a standard yoga class even mm -hmm. if it horrifies you you can still do breath yeah. work but I think people listen to that and they're like oh my god that's so boring like uh, who wants right. to right it seems so simple you do it every second of every day so yeah. it's like how can that be so fundamental but that's like Liam has had my little brother problems with you know just anxiety starting in college and that started before I did my teacher training so before I was really introduced to and understood breath and I remember him talking to me about these breathing exercises he had searched on the internet yeah. you know he's such a researcher when yeah. he get, finds a problem he you know researches until he fully understands the answer and he was talking to me about breathing exercises and how it was helping his heart rate and you know the feeling once he you can literally anxiety. change your heart rate and your pulse yeah I mean that's profound it's amazing they, they talk about Wim Hof, who I'm kind of obsessed with. Yes, you know, I'm talking yeah. about Wim Hof. <laughs> so they talked about how he literally, they injected him with, like, botulism or something. And he was able, through his breathing, mm -hmm. to, like, not have an effect. I mean, it's profound what you can do. Yeah. You know, people, it, so it seems like an automatic thing, yeah. you know, like it's something we do automatically, but you can do it intentionally mm -hmm. and it can have big uh, impacts on your body, especially yeah. with anxiety and stress. Right. And it doesn't take five minutes. No. Do you know it, what I mean? It doesn't have to be a big investment of your time. It's so valuable and so powerful. Um, yeah, great. So, um, what, if you're in heaven and you're at the pearly gates, what song is God playing to welcome you in? Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, actually I think the really quick answer, unless I had to think about it and probably think about every song I love is river by Leon, Leon Bridges. Bridges. Yeah. Which is a great song because I think every time I hear that song, I picture a day like this where the mountains are smoky and it's raining and everything is green. And I am content, content in the way where you like those moments where you kind of understand everything so you have like deep sadness but also like fulfillment inside you yeah because they're two yin and yang yeah you can't have one without the other exactly you have both i um i love that that's song. a great song <laughs> it is a good song all right so now the flip side uh -huh. is if you're in hell and the devil is playing a song to torture you <laughs> what is that song is this like the positive version of hell like the fun version or like the really like flames help well like in other words if if there if someone's going to torture you and play a song that will literally okay. torture you what is that song mine is islands in the stream by dolly parton and kenny rogers <laughs> And I feel really bad that he died shortly after I mentioned that in a podcast. Of course, Leanne asked me, do you feel bad? I'm like, what, like I'm responsible for his death because I named that song? Like, that's not fair. But that's mine. I've heard some great answers to that question over the years. Oh, my gosh. Well, so the first thing that comes to mind is anything metal, screamo music. Like, the banging and the screaming really make me so angry. And they are, like, torture to me. I hate that kind of music. Um... Gosh, but a particular song. 
Honestly, this is gonna sound so mean, but maybe anything Katy Perry. Like, I really don't like Katy Perry. <laughs> and I feel bad about it, and whenever I hear her music, I see her, like, peppermint white face with her black hair and her bright blue eyes, and it's, I don't know why she bothers me, but maybe it's Well, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's okay to be honest about it. Yeah. Like, I feel bad, I love Dolly Parton. <laughs> and I love Kenny Rogers, but yeah. I pop and hate that song. <laughs> like, that song comes on, and I literally feel my whole body start to just seize up. Like, oh my God, turn it off. Like, it's painful for me to hear that song. <laughs> but there's, and the other one is for me is, what is it? Put the Chevy to the American Pie, or what's that song? Chevy. Love, love, yeah, yeah, that's American. Uh, American something. Anyway, and my friend my friend was like, that's an American. I was like, it's not an American. <laughs> that's like that song, okay? Like, let's not make it a big, broad, sweeping judgment, okay? Right. I just flip and hate that song. Oh, my gosh, that's so We funny. just don't like what we don't like. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to be honest with ourselves about that. Yes. Okay, so next question. If you could spend one day in a man's body, would you do it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, like... So let me ask you next question. What would you do in that day? Gosh, I don't know. I would, I would not wear a shirt all day long, first of all. <laughs> Anywhere. I would have my shirt off all day long. Um... I don't know. It would be so strange. Can wouldn't you imagine? It? I can't imagine. Like, I really can't. But I would do it, too. And, yeah. and I would do everything. Like, all the things. Because I would want to know all the things from their perspective. Yes. I would you probably I mean? drink a lot of water, so i pee all the, like, yep. all the time. Yeah. Several times throughout the day. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the equipment. Yeah. And then just all of it. Like, I can't imagine the... The mindset of it, I can't imagine. I mean, I just think it would be such an interesting experiment. Yeah. You know what I mean? To just have 24 hours in a man's body and just know, okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I, of course, I would have a list. I would want to map out everything I right. would want to do. Plan out before the yeah, day comes. Yeah, plan it out. What you're going to do. Um, yeah, and that brings me to another question, which my husband and I always play with, is if you could do any superpower, what would it be? Ooh, yes, I love this question. Um, so mine was always, and Liam would always tell me growing up, that's not a superpower. But I would love to speak every language. That's oh, that no, could I be would my say superpower. That's a superpower. I would think so too. Like yeah. to be able to communicate in any language and like just speak it fluently. That would definitely be my superpower. So that's a great that would one. Probably be it. I yeah. would. Mine would be to fly. Yes, that's the. Next, and like, is the invisibility cloak. See, which I've never like, understood that one fully. Like, <laughs> cool, no one can see you. But like, I could go hide behind that chair and you can't see. Yeah, me. I guess. But see, eavesdropping to me comes with consequences. Like, I, what other people think about me is none of my damn business. Mm -hmm. I don't want to nap. Like reading thoughts, I would never want never. that. Never. No, it no, no, would no. destroy me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm better off. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. I do not want to know. Right. So I'm right there with you. For mine, it was flying. Yes, okay. I, I don't really know. Like I that. just think flying would be cool. Um, so why do you think yoga classes in the U.S. are so female-heavy? They're female-centric, more women take. But yoga actually was created by men for men. Yeah. So, because I had this conversation with Kendra and I were outside of her class, I don't know, this was a while ago, and one of the guys that had taken her class was talking about how hard yoga was for him. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, God, you know, yoga's so hard for me, and it seems so easy for women. Like, why? You know, he was frustrated. He was expressing, thank you, some of his frustration. Mm -hmm. And Kendra started laughing, and she goes, well, look, I hear where you're coming from. She's like, but just so you know, yoga was created by men for men. Yeah. So, I mean, it's 
it's kind of only in this country that it's more of a female-centric medium. Mm-hmm. And I remember your dad and I talking one time, and your dad was telling me how hard yoga was for him. He was like, it's so hard. I'm sweating, and I'm mad, and mm-hmm. I'm you know, on, the, <laughs> on the slip and slide mat. And he was just talking about how hard it was to make himself do yoga because, A, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And, it was, you know, it's just hard to do something that's hard. Like, our, our biological instinct is, no, I don't want to do that because it's hard. Yeah. So my question to you is, why do you think in the U.S. it's become so female concentrated um, when it was created by men for men? And how, my curiosity is, do you see that changing anytime soon? So the big answer, in my opinion, is that especially in this country and Western culture, the... um, for women, the drive to have healthy bodies, fit bodies, attractive bodies drives the fitness industry. Even if you look at, like, the majority of the fitness industry, I would say, is geared toward females. There are, there are like, male spaces or, you know, places where males are involved, but, like, the drive to be fit and be, you know, skinny and beautiful and clear-minded is a very, like, female should be that because there is the whole, you know, Western idea of, like, Mm -hmm. a beautiful, attractive woman and, like, that's what your importance is in this society. So I think that's, like, the easy answer of why, you know, a foreign health religion almost is put on women in this society. That would be my big answer. And then I think that just filters down into female spaces where I feel very safe in a yoga class because I know it's gonna be all women and I know, well, mostly women and it's gonna be women who want to have a quiet moment, have a place where they can just be on their mat. And so, it's like a double-sided thing, right? Like, I don't want to have that pressure of being attractive and being thin and that being my only importance in this society, but it's also really, really nice to go be in a class and that's your only focus, is to, like, work on your body and work on your mind and just be in one place. Right, well, I think I don't think the two necessarily have to be opposing forces. You're right. They can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of, to me, it boils down to your intention. What's your intention in the class, you know? And um, I don't know. I kind of, there are a lot of purists out there. Um, and they're, that's fine. They're allowed, everyone's allowed to be what they want to be. Yes. But I kind of look at it that even though some, like some people would argue power yoga and certain practices of yoga are less, they've come so far from the original intention that they're not really yoga. And sure, that's probably true, but mm-hmm. my sense is some's better than none. Yes. Even if you're just taking the power yoga, maybe you may not get a, the full experience of a yoga practice. You're still getting something. Right. And you're getting... And it's kind of a continuation on the physical side of yoga. Like everything is a continuum and everything is constantly in progress. Yoga will never be what it was intended to be because that's in the past you know so like these progressions all have their and they're organic you can't stop them they're gonna happen Leanne and I were talking about this is there a lot of people who believe you know oh well yoga we've like ruined yoga and it's come so and I mean you know sure maybe in their minds we have but Leanne and I were laughing well if you go back to the origins women weren't allowed to do it (laughs) so I mean you can't have both you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's like you can't paint this lovely perfect picture of the origins of yoga because there's an there's a nice side to that and not so nice side. Mm-hmm. 
because mm -hmm. women weren't supposed to do it back then. It was really a male-dominated cultural thing where it was really created by men for men. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, yeah, some of the changes, it's like anything. There's good and bad with the origins. There's good and bad with the changes. Yeah. You know, we, it's just, but everything evolves and changes, some good, some not so good. But there's no stopping it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how you stop it. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, like, because of the expectations in our culture, it seems to me like men could benefit from yoga probably far more than women at this point because there's that, you know, the impetus to be strong and career-oriented right. and not take a moment's break and work, work, work and run and, you know, lift weights. And so for men like my dad, like, a, you know, it's really hard to slow down and stretch your muscles. And men are less, you know, flexible naturally than women, it seems. Maybe they that's are. just I mean, today. No, it's, I don't know, no, it's but. A pretty good generalizations. Men just have, in general, more muscle mass than women. That's just yeah, how they're okay. biologically designed. Mm -hmm. So with that comes less, and we're, we have babies. Our hips have to crack wide, freaking open, <laughs> to pop that baby out. Yeah. So really, biologically, we are designed to be more flexible, and they are designed to be stronger. It's just how we're built. Mm -hmm. But you really want a balance of both, right? So yeah. for most women, our work is the strength aspect. Mm -hmm. For men, it is the flexibility aspect. Yeah. And Leanne talked in our podcast about how culturally, you know, in India, Indonesia, where a lot of the origins of yoga come from, culturally it's more acceptable for men to ha celebrate their feminine side. Mm -hmm. They hug each other. They, you know, they kiss. Yes. They walk down the street holding hands. So culturally it's very different for them versus our country, mm -hmm. where in our country men are expected to be men. You know, they're yeah. not allowed to have feelings or a feminine side or, you know what I mean? So I think that's why a lot of men, not all men, but some men are uncomfortable with yoga because we don't celebrate that side of them in our culture. And mm -hmm. so they feel, and plus, I think also it's just, it's hard for them. They're not good at it. And so the ego gets involved. Yes. You know, just like women don't like to go to the weight rooms mm -hmm. because for, we're not as strong and it's intimidating to be surrounded in that whole male testosterone cultural thing. And I think men feel the same yeah. coming to a yoga class. I think it's just both sides of that coin. Yeah, you're right. I think I feel the same feeling every time I see a woman in the weight room, especially like a lone woman in the weight room. I'm like, wow, go girl. Like I am just, I admire you. I'm so proud of you. And then when a man comes to yoga class, it's kind of a similar feeling, you know, like you go like, <laughs> yep. cause it's so rare, but it shouldn't be. It's not that rare, but it's becoming less. So I, it depends on where you are, mm -hmm. you know, um, funny story. When I taught at the fitness center, um, I, I started with all women in my gentle yoga morning class and you know, I had one guy that would come occasionally, and finally I had a guy call me at home, and he was like, am I going to be the only guy? And I was like, God, I don't know. Like, I can't guarantee anything. I don't know who's going to come, mm -hmm. but I want you to come. Yeah. And, you know, so he did. And long and short, over the years, I built up a pretty good male clientele. And I had one guy in my class who was a former bodybuilder. And he was probably in his 60s at that point, late 60s, probably close yeah. to 70. And he came up to me after he'd been in my class for maybe three months. And he said to me, he goes, I would give anything if I could go back and do this while I was weightlifting. Mm. He's like, I weightlifted competitively my whole life. And he goes, and I was able to get away with it until, like, he said, probably his, like, 60. He said, I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't get out of bed. 
He's like, I felt like crap all day long. Oh my gosh. And he said, but I was so resistant to doing anything. He's like, I don't know why. And he said, one of the guys on the floor had mentioned, well, you should try a yoga class. And he said, I was, I didn't want to come all the things. And he came and he, I remember talking to him after that first class and he's like, this is awful. <laughs> like, I hate this. And I said, look, just give it six weeks. And if you can just give it six weeks, if it doesn't get better and you don't get better, fine. Do something else, but mm -hmm. just try it. And he stuck with it the whole time I was there. In fact, when I left the fitness center, he was one of those people that I was like, oh, it's so hard to leave him because I got so attached to my people. But he told me, and all of a sudden I noticed men coming into that class. And so it went from literally maybe two men to over half the class was men. Mm -hmm. And it was because he was on the floor at the weights telling these other guys, these younger guys and guys his age, look, you, if you want to be agile and mobile and be able to tie your shoes and pick up stuff off the floor, you can't just lift weights. Yeah. You know, you have to be, strength and flexibility is equally important. Mm -hmm. And um, it was wild to me to see, like, because it really was a game changer for him. Like, it improved his quality of life. Like, being able to tie his shoes and being able to do those things we take for granted, like pick up something off the floor. So, you can get away with abusing your body for so long. I mean, like, I think we all do it, men and women, but there's a point where you recognize, okay, like, I really have gotten away, so I want to work smarter instead of harder. Yeah. And so it was kind of neat having him in my class, and he really changed the dynamic of the class, bringing more men in, and it was really kind of fun to see that. So kind of one of the, my, my sort of dreams and things I would like to do is have more men in yoga, because I agree with you. I think men need it more. Yeah, they do. In some regards. Mm -hmm. It's just getting over the hurdles in their head. Yes. Their speed bumps, their roadblocks, their mental blocks, their mindsets about why they don't want to do it. Yeah, their and cultural training, as Glennon Doyle would say. Yeah, and it's it doesn't mean it's, I mean, it, I recognize that it's challenging and hard, but mm -hmm. it's but I still think there's a lot of value in it. Yeah. Um, it's just, they have to, you know, everybody has to decide on their own if they want to do it and if it's worth it for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's other things they can do. I mean, there's other, there's yeah. Tai Chi and there's other mediums out there that have a similar mindset, mm -hmm. as long as they're just doing something to work on their flexibility, mobility, and having that mind-body connection. Yes. You know, where it's not just about the aesthetics. Because mm -hmm. that only gets you so far. Yeah. Um, so what's your biggest pet peeve? Hmm. That's a hard one, isn't it? That is a hard one. I think, um... So I'm thinking about big things, not little things. See, I, of course, go right to little things. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what little things really bother me? Um, and let me just say, it can be big or little. Yeah. It's just whatever popped in your head the first time. The pet yeah. Piece. So the, I will say, I had a really rough night Wednesday night at the bar, like I was mentioning earlier. And so Dealing I... Dealing with the public is hard. Yes. And especially as an introvert, like some days it is... I would rather run a marathon, which I have never done and will never do. <laughs> but I would rather do that than go interact with people like it's so hard sometimes but so Wednesday night I got really really angry like I I don't get mad often I don't get stressed out like I'm a pretty like level low energy person most of the time but by the end of Wednesday night I felt like actual anger and it was because like these people were just like bombarding me with 
questions and their own anger. And so I think, I think as a bartender, like you have to learn how to deflect that sort of, but I well, was just. Well, and as an empath, you have to learn how to deflect yes. that too. And I was just soaking it all in. And by the end of the night, like I said, I was just having to take deep breaths and like lay there and like not cry. And like, it was so difficult, but so I guess that's not really a pet peeve, though, because I want people to trust me. I want them to talk to me about everything that's going on. Well, that's but a different dynamic, though. Yeah. It's one thing to be bombarded at a bar where everybody wants their drink and everybody's kind of in your face and it's loud and it's noisy. That's different mm-hmm. from, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a, that's a different thing. And yeah. I think that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. I waited tables, too. Mm-hmm. And it, and I, you know, I didn't. There were things I loved. I had awesome customers and I had the shitty customers, too. Yeah. I would say, though, one of my um, smaller pet peeves is bad breath. I can't stand it. Oh, my gosh. When someone comes at me, with bad breath it's like I will literally just walk away like I'm sorry yeah. I can't do this yeah, smells are a big a thing cert. for me yeah. yeah smells are a big thing for me too that's mine is smacking smacking yeah mm-hmm. it's like people popping their gum like a machine gun or mm-hmm. smacking I have what's it's like misophonia or misophonia you know it's like literally I have like literally a disease I think <laughs> where like certain smacking sounds like that literally make me crazy yeah like there's a great little the Holderness family does those like videos on Facebook and he got a microphone it was eating chips and oh she gosh. had headphones on and she was like ah! and I totally related to that because that's the kind of thing that makes me crazy yeah like my husband cannot eat at night without rattling the bag really loud whatever he wants to eat is at the bottom of the bag and he's got to rattle it really loud then he eats so loud it's like <laughs> do you have to chew that loud right and he does he really does <laughs> and I recognize that it's some of it is my problem yes you know so I'm like turn the volume on the TV up so I so I can hear the television over your loud smacking but like smacking that's my big pet peeve. so like noises yes for you so that's kind of like smells for me like I've literally been woken up well in the smells the is a big one for me too from a smell and it's like I can't sleep if there's like a weird smell or like people like the smell of bacon in the morning I hate if I can smell bacon in my bedroom I am like angry like why does my bedroom smell like meat like smells are a weird thing and you know that's one of our most primitive senses yeah like that's one of the first senses we develop and that's our first sense tied to memory Mm. which I find really interesting when I was pregnant with Jack I was convinced I smelled dog food all the time we didn't have a (laughs) dog that's not a good smell no it wasn't we didn't have a dog there was no dog food in the house (laughs) but I was convinced I smelled dog food all the time it drove being insane but that's it's just a weird hormonal thing have you ever um smelt pad thai and thought that it smelled like dog food Oh, well, not specifically pad thai, but I have had certain things smell, like smells are visceral to me. Yeah. Like, like, a, like you know, like skunks, like we have a skunk stalking our house right now, and mm-hmm. Ian doesn't smell it now, so I'm like, oh my god, that skunk I smelled here. it a few minutes ago, I yeah. think I could so smell it. Yeah, so we have that. one that's burrowed in and around our house, and we're trying to see if we can get rid of it ourselves instead of paying $500 for oh someone to come trap that sucker and haul him off. You know, Dad could probably do that. He has, we used to trap raccoons on our porch, so he has those little cages where they walk in and the door flaps up. He used to trap them and then let them go by the Waynesville Rec Center on the way to school in the morning. Yeah, I, I, I'm about at the point where I'm pretty desperate. Like, and but they're hard. They're they're like super. Apparently, they like have four or five little burrows in a certain area, and they'll move on. And so we can't figure out like we know where it is and where it's getting in, but we don't know like when it's there. And we, you know what I'm saying. And then what if we trap it? What if it just lets a whole full stink on emission go? Oh, it go? will probably. 
probably. Yeah, see, and then it's under my fucking house. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can handle that. Oh, but we're going to have to do something because yeah. I can't stand it. But, yeah, smell. I'm a big smell person, too. I don't like really heavy, big cologne either. Oh, yeah. That's... It was never meant for an entire block to smell cologne. No. It's really only meant for people close to you to smell. Yeah, I think when you, that like, con- turn onto a street and you smell it, you're like, yeah, oh. that's, that's just not really good. <laughs> All right, so what inspires you the most um, right now? I would say getting involved with um, the reporting side of the newspaper. So, like, um, learning that, I find that writing right now is really inspiring me. So a lot of the books I've read recently have been so inspiring, like Glennon Doyle. Um, Mm -hmm. I love that book. Yeah. Untamed. If you haven't read it, read it. Read it. It will change your life. Um, Ron Rash just released a new book, and David Joy, who are both the Appalachian noir authors. Mm -hmm. And so just, you know, I... I write a lot. That's what I want to do with my life. And so when I read just different types of writing, like how Glennon can portray such important ideas about life and emotions so clearly, like to put that into words, into language, I think. And she's pithy too, which I think is the challenge. Mm -hmm. Like her little chapters are short. Yes. You know, Um, and I read someone's like like an actual complaint about her book was it's just little Instagram memes about like, you know, like positive up. I was like, okay, it's a little more than that. Yeah, no, it's definitely. (laughs) But she does do a good. First of all, she's very good at illustrating with imagery and a story. Mm -hmm. She's very powerful at using a story to make her point. Yeah. Yes. Which I think is a very good way to get your point across because everyone can understand a story or a situation that's explained. Mm -hmm. So she is very good at that. Like that's even how the Bible started. Like they told stories Mm -hmm. to give lessons, you know, it's such, yeah. Imagery is a powerful way for people to kind of, because a lot of us have different ways we cognitively process information. And so imagery to me is a very powerful way Mm -hmm. to get your point across because we can all imagine a situation, a story, uh, um, whatever it may be. We that's a all of our brains can do that yeah and so Ron Rash writes well novels and short I do stories love Ron but Rash. his most recent book is a book of short stories and then also a novella that ends Serena it's an epilogue to Serena so I'm so excited to get there but um but I am so inspired how they Glennon and Ron Rash both in very different ways each word, each sentence, and each paragraph is so important to what they're trying to get across, to that story that he's building within five to ten pages, or to the emotion or the life lesson that Glennon wants to get across, you know? So translating thought into word has always been difficult for me. I'm not a good extemporaneous speaker, which is why I was very nervous about this podcast, but writing You've done a great has job, always been by the easier way. for me. Thank <laughs> you. Um, so I'm inspired about that ability to translate word, I mean, thought and idea, and even on the reporting side, um, interviews and information into words. It's something I'm You've read the book on. by E.B. White, or something about the structure of writing. There's some book he wrote about mm-hmm. how, yeah, I'll have to get that to you. It's okay. a really good book about how to be pithy and how to get your point across without a lot of extemporaneous word. You know what I mean? Because we tend to, I don't know, it's like there's an art to being descriptive. I don't think you need to strip it necessarily down to just the cat ate, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> but there's also, you can be too descriptive and too flowery and use too many words. Mm-hmm. So it is an art form. I know what you're saying. To get your point across, but do it in a way that's succinct. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's easy to do. It's not. 
Um, and it kind of depends on how your mind works, too. Yeah. You know, some people are really good at getting right to the point, and other people kind of tend to go on and on and on. It's just kind of, you know, mm -hmm. how everybody's brain is different. Yeah. And so the paper... Um, Holly and Corey both, two of our longtime reporters, are they inspire me so much because I read their stories and it's just like like I mean like bulletproof writing. Like you could like you can't there's not any cracks in there, like it's succinct, it is so clear. And then but they both can still use that narrative format where they're telling a story but they're giving you so much information and it's mm -hmm. just Yeah, and don't you think a lot of that though comes from experience? It does, yes. You know, like we tend to want to be I think one of the things I see in this generation that concerns me a little bit, and I'm not really talking about you, but just in general, is people want to be good at something right away. Mm -hmm. They don't want to put in the sweat equity. They don't want to be wrong. They yeah. don't want to make a mistake. They don't want them to step a wrong foot. It's like, I just want to be good at it right away. And so there's no, there's a, there's just this feeling of, well, if it's not easy to me right away, then I just don't want to do it. And, that, and it doesn't work that way. And I think though that part of this stems from how everything is recorded these days. Everything that you do basically will be around forever like it is in some cell phone it is on some website like you know what I'm saying it, yeah, it, every, I do. so when you all the stupid stuff I did nobody knows about exactly. it except my friends in college but so when you start something when you try to initiate a process for this generation like that is now on record yeah. So it's more intimidating. It's almost like I everyone's think. in the public eye is what you're saying. Yeah. Like it used, like, you know, I remember Amy Carter, um, you know, the President Carter's youngest daughter was talking about how she was really young when her dad was president. Mm. And she was like, every embarrassing teenage growth pain that I had was like national news. Yeah. And she was like, it was so hard mm -hmm. to be a gawky teenager and to just be embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not, and it wasn't like just nobody knew about it. Like the mm -hmm. whole freaking world knew about it. And I guess that's how all teenagers feel now, mm -hmm. is there's no privacy to your awkwardness. Yeah, your there's whole no community knows. And then, like, even if you think in the future, like, if something, I mean, not saying that anybody, everybody's going to be a big celebrity or anything, but if you gain any sort of, um, you know, people know about you for what you're doing, your whole past is there, too. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's weird to think about life in those terms. Of yeah, and I, it's hard for me to relate to that, because I didn't have that experience, but I hear what you're saying. I remember telling my kids really young, I was like, look, just know that anything that you, have a code among your friends mm -hmm. that you don't post stuff yeah. without permission, mm -hmm. you know, because I was like, you don't know what their lives are going to be like, you don't know what they're going to try to do, and that's really, to me, a betrayal of friendship, mm -hmm. um, especially if anyone can see it. So I would always tell them, don't post stuff unless it's not going to be up there forever, unless it's just a, a close-knit group of people, right. because you don't know what the long-term consequences of that are going to be, mm -hmm. and you don't know what they're going to be for you if someone does it yeah. to you. Mm -hmm. So it is a different mindset. And I guess it's almost like ripping a Band-Aid off in some ways in that I guess you have to get used to public embarrassment or the fact that, you know, what? I guess that's just a whole different level of, you know, like if, if something embarrassing happened in my high school, the high school maybe knew about it mm -hmm. and maybe they'd tell a few other people, but it wasn't like the whole state of Georgia knew about it. Yeah. You know, that's a little bit different and that's a little different level of, um, of well, bullying mm -hmm. and of just consequences. Yeah. Um, and I think that can cause probably a form of PTSD. I would imagine it has to. Yeah. And I then fear so. of that. There, there, you know, even, so never 
never mind dealing with the trauma of having it happen to you, mm-hmm. then the fear of it happening to you can be paralyzing too. Because you can be like, well, I'm not going to do anything that might show up because, you know, and yes. then that, that just is, that's, um, that's a heavy thing to deal with. Yeah. And I think that's especially why they talk about how social media has such a strong impact on young girls, especially. And I think it's exactly that. It's not necessarily, you know, seeing all these beautiful women or anything like that, but it's like everything I do, if I wear a tank top to school and somebody think it's ugly, like everyone will see that for the rest of forever. That's what's in their brain. You know, it's not just that, like, I might go to school and look fat in this. It's like somebody will take a picture and I will like just little stuff like that is there for forever. And I think that's really part of the stress for so many young kids these days. Yeah. And especially women. I think it's different for girls and women. Yeah. I think we just, remember my husband said to me years ago, I was going to like a book club and he's like, damn, you're really dressed up. And he's like, you're dressed up more for your girlfriends at your book club than you would be on a date night. And I was like, (laughs) shit, you're making me feel bad, but he wasn't wrong. Yeah. And I do think we dress for other women more than we dress for our spouse. Yeah. And it's because we're aware that we're looked at differently by other women. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's just a a cultural thing. And so, of course, if it's going to show up in our relationships and in little social events, it's going to be a bigger picture thing. And I I don't know what the answer to that is. You you know, my younger son, Mason, as you know, really isn't on social media. (laughs) Yeah. He's done a good job of that. I'm honestly so surprised. Like, he's nowhere to be found. (laughs) He doesn't like it. He's only on Snapchat and maybe one other. Uh And he's very selective. And he has just decided that I don't like the the culture of this. Mm-hmm. I don't like the ugly side to this. So he's just abstained and I want, I mean, I hate to think that that's the extreme you have to go to and he's a guy. Yeah. So just imagine how, you know, because I do think it's worse for women than it is for men. Mm-hmm. So for a woman, I guess either either the silent majority speaks up and says, this is not the ideal and we have to kind of you know, sort of, not fight back but basically say, you know, we don't like this attitude of this is the ideal yoga person or this is the ideal woman's figure Mm -hmm. You know, like I think yoga, I love the idea that a lot of women who weren't traditionally represented on the cover of Yoga Journal are gaining popularity like Diane Bondi or Dion Bondi. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. And Jessamine. Jessamine. Yeah, I, I know. I, I love Jessamine. Yoga is one Yeah, of my she's things. amazing. And, you know, I'm hoping that she will change the conversation around yoga mm-hmm. because I think a lot of women look at the Instagram yoga picture and think, well, that's, I'm not, I don't look like her. Mm-hmm. I don't see myself in a yoga class, so it's not for me. Yeah. I remember I had to battle that a little bit, well, a lot in Costa Rica when I was teaching yoga there. All of Many of the tourists who came and I would teach them yoga classes, they would say things like, what's the coolest pose you can do? Or like, do a headstand and I'll take a picture of you, you know, with the beautiful sunrise. And I'm like, can't do a headstand. Um, Can't really do very many cool poses. You know, like, it was just, it, but reminding myself like, okay, that's not what yoga's about. Trying to explain that. But it, it, it did feel... I don't know, I guess, like, a letdown to be like, I can't do a headstand, so you can't take a picture of me doing Girlfriend, that in front of this beautiful sunrise. let me sunrise. just tell you, it's I cannot do lotus pose, and I've never been able to do it, and I literally remember at a certain point when I was thinking about doing the yoga teacher training, I was like, well, I can't do it. Like, I can't be a yoga teacher because mm-hmm. I can't do lotus. That's what I thought. 
and finally, I just sort of decided, well, that's just bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can just, I, you know, and I do believe you don't teach what you can't, you know. I mean, Lotus is not a great example, but, like, if I can't do Scorpion, I don't teach Scorpion. Right, yes. You know, so, but it's, but I have people who can't do Chaturanga. And I know yoga teachers who think, well, if you can't do Chaturanga, you can't teach yoga. That's total bullshit to me. It is. That is bullshit. It, that is, yoga is not just about one fucking pose you can do. Mm -hmm. That's just such a, that's one percent of it to me. Yeah. But I remember early on in my yoga journey, I, I, and it has to do with the structure of my joints. And so then I flipped it around and I was like, wait a minute. So that's crazy that I think I can't teach yoga because I can't do lotus because there are a lot of people who can't do yoga. Right. Lotus. And how much so what am I saying? Yeah. Am I saying they can't do it? Like that doesn't make sense. Mm -mm. So I had to kind of get over my own little mindset about that. And I don't do headstands anymore because I had a, a pinched nerve in my neck. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of degenerative discs in my neck. And so headstands are not really great for me. So I'll do handstands. But again, you don't there you can do legs up the wall and that's an inversion like and mm -hmm. so is down dog yes so this idea that the advanced poses like we're not a real yogi unless we do the advanced poses it's like really just congratulations on your genetic gifts yeah isn't that what that's about yeah and, I mean I'm not saying you can't work hard and get better at certain poses right but if that's your intention to get better at the physical stuff, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't have to be everyone's intention. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're a better yogi mm -hmm. than someone who maybe they can't do any of that, but they still have amazing breath technique. They do amazing other things. Like, I don't look at it as that's, like, advanced or better. I don't like that. But I think that's how a lot of people see it. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you've been to different yoga classes with several different teachers, you understand what you get from different teachers and where different benefits really impact you. Like maybe you go to a class and you're a power yoga person and they are just breathing the whole time and they're, you know, maybe meditating or whatever. And you get a different difficulty from that class. You get a different impact. And I think a good example is like me and my sister are very different people. It took me a long time to realize that I didn't like sports because like she was so like happy and positive all the time that I grew up under this umbrella of like I should do sports, you know, because like I think she Mason can relate to you quite a bit. Yes, I'm sure you can. Your mom and I used to joke, you're not allowed to get married because <laughs> you're way too much we alike. Are and we both have older siblings that are like these glowing yep. orbs yep. of you know. And so you felt like that's what things. you were supposed to do, right? And so I slowly figured out like, oh, that's not really what I like, and so. So in the yoga world, Megan does core power yoga. It's very strength oriented and like she maybe is not like the most, she has worked really hard to do headstands and things like that. You know, she's the example of like, you work at it, you can get to it. She's worked really hard on her posture. Yes. If I can give your sister props. Her posture is so much better now. Mm -hmm. She's done an amazing job, and she's worked hard at that. Yeah, she's such a hard worker. That's the thing. Like, she will work until she can do something. <laughs> but I, like, that's not my type of yoga. So it's just, it's different for... For everybody. Yeah, and I think but, it's okay that it's different. Yeah. I think you get, we all are different, and even in a day, it's different. There might be a certain day where I'm, you're feeling heavy, and you're like, God, I don't want to do this. Maybe I'll do this, or it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not right, wrong. It's just what, what am I, what is my body needing today? Yeah. And what do I feel like doing today? And then I think it's acknowledging what's my medicine, what's my dessert, and having that balance in whatever you do. Yes. I do think that's really important to kind of be, have that awareness of this is what I know I need. And I, I think having, my, my ideal class is really like a flow in yin. Yeah. Yin is my medicine. Mm -hmm. I want to hurt someone in yin. 
Really? Yeah. My monkey mind goes crazy in it. Okay. So the the long holds in certain poses. Uh-huh. Like if like pigeon, for example. I mean, I'm gnashing my teeth. I'm cussing the teacher the whole time in a long <laughs> pigeon. And so yin is my medicine. Flow is my dessert. Okay. So a flowing yin is kind of my ideal class because I have a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And um and that's kind of my sweet spot. Okay. But everybody, you know, it's different for really everyone. It kind of yeah. depends on what you want to do. Um, so what's your um, favorite childhood memory? Hmm. You know, I was just, I'm trying to, so one of my uh, goals that has not been realized yet is to start a weekly column related to food because cooking is like my greatest passion in life. You know, I say that writing is what I want to do. It's my dream, but cooking is like my your dessert, joy. my everything. Yeah. I, when I'm Angry, There's no I'll reason you can't combine better. the two. Yeah, you know I that, know, right? I know. So cooking is like really, really my everything. And so I was trying to start the other day writing an introductory column to like my relationship with food and cooking. And some of my earliest, earliest memories are making dinner with my mom. And at that point in life, like it was not out of... Um, you know, requirement yeah, by my not mom. A chore. Like it I, wasn't out of love for food. It was just to, like it was just something that we did. We cooked together, and then we sat down and ate together. And so, I like am so thankful to my mom for that because she just invited us there. You know, it wasn't like you have to help make dinner so that we can eat. It was just we were invited into the kitchen, and like I will be forever thankful for that because it slowly grew into my true, true love for cooking. And those are some of my earliest, earliest memories are making dinners with my mom. Cooking with your mom. That's a great one. Yeah. You know, we just did a mindful eating program with Sarah, and your mom was actually in that program. And Sarah talked about how the energy that you have gets in the food. Mm -hmm. So if you're angry when you make food, the anger gets into the food. But if you're having joy and you're enjoying that, then that energy goes into the food. And I found that really fascinating. Yes. Because that's her belief is that whatever energy you have in your body with the prep and with the making of the food, that transports itself into the food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's done a lot of our catering things for our, like, staff Christmas parties or whatever. And I'm telling you, you can taste her food's kind of magical. Yeah. And so I do think there's something to that. Um, I think that's a gift that some people have. I despise cooking. <laughs> I can assemble, you know what I mean, a salad, but I, uh-huh. I'm trying to change that. But it's just, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. Right. And I'm trying to be more mindful about that process. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ever going to love it, but I'm trying to at least be mindful around it, the prep and all those things. And um, and I, I acknowledge the value of having someone prepare food that genuinely loves what they're doing because I do think that makes it into the food into the flavors of the food and I do think that has an impact on on all of it mm-hmm. you know like she talked about eating mindfully how you digest food the prep all of that is part of the digestion process yeah in other words while you're cooking and while you're looking at it that's a mindful way to sort of start that process because you're kind of salivating mm-hmm. while you're cooking you're looking at the colors well and even the 
like you say, the assembling process can involve a lot of love. Like that idea of choosing ingredients that are perfect, like going to the grocery store and finding the perfect tomato or the perfect yeah, avocado. And that's like, mindful. That's love too, and that's mindful, thinking about what you're going to put in your body yeah. like that. But I really learned that aspect. So I didn't learn to cook bread until I was in Costa Rica and we were on a tight budget. We were out in the country, like very far from the closest grocery store. So we made everything that we ate. We didn't have any processed food at all. So we made all of our bread, our sauces, our peanut butter, granola, oat milk, we made everything. So I learned how to make bread. And my friend Trixie from Sweden, she, you know, is not like a big cook, but when she got down there to help out in the surf camp for room and board, learned how to make bread and she taught me. And it was this very, she had a little piece of paper, how many grams of yeast, how many grams of water, how many grams of flour. And as I, you know, developed into being there longer and making more bread, I kind of started experimenting and I really started feeling that raw emotion of like, okay, um, like the amount of everything doesn't really matter, right? Like if I let this yeast, like if I put enough sugar into where it like really starts to bubble in the water and it's eating and it's happy, you know, and I'm happy and then I put in the flour and I, I need the bread with love like and intention, it's going to turn out okay. Like it's going to turn out yummy. And that feeling was just it was really new and it was really special to feel like I am putting love into this bread and then all these people who are here at the surf camp are going to eat it and they're going to feel that kind of, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it sounds a little strange, but it, it doesn't actually, it sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it just made me so happy to like, to right. do that for people. Yeah. And you know, I, I, that's a big passion for you. I can tell you need yeah. to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want to take a little bite of love? I know. <laughs> Um, all right, last two questions, then we're going to wrap it up. One is, what cultural conditioning for women would you like to change the most? Hmm. So my first thought, just because we're talking about food, is definitely body image. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that I think literally every woman struggles with. Even if you're a naturally, and I say this because it's our cultural training to think that skinny women are better for right. some reason, but right. even if you're a naturally skinny person, like I've seen those girls, those women struggle with like, I'm too skinny, like I'm not attractive, you know, like I don't have curves. So just the body image I think is so, we spend probably years of our life thinking about it. Not to mention to billions of dollars it. to change it. Yes. I mean, butt implants were the number one surgery in the last like recession. That blew the top of my head off. That's crazy. Yeah, so we spend billions of dollars changing what God gave us. Yeah. Because we think we're not good enough. Yeah. We're not enough. It, yeah, it, and it's just like, it's so, it takes away, if you could, if I could spend all the time that I have spent in my life thinking and working on my body, like, yes, it's important to be healthy, but it's also important to be happy with yourself and to work on things that you're passionate about and like to work on broadening your mind and learning more, you know? So it's just, if I could like gift every woman in the world with something, it would be to just erase those preconceived notions so that you can spend your time being healthy and doing what you want to do, like without any kind of idea of what a woman should be physically. Yeah, amen to that. I feel the same way. Yeah. I remember reading something that really struck me. It was a woman who was like in her 30s and she died of a some kind of traumatic, uh, some sort of whatever 
disease. It might have been cancer. It might have been something else. And she wrote this long letter. And she said, um, on your deathbed, you're not going to give a shit about all the things you give a shit about now. Yeah. She's like, you're not going to care about whether you're fat or not. You're not going to care about whether or not you ate dessert. You're not going to care about what you look like. You know what I mean? And so I try every day to think when I make a decision, am I going to care about this on my deathbed? Mm -hmm. You know, because I think that is a perspective that's important to realize because, yeah. you know, we tend to think, oh, what will so-and-so think about this? Or, you know, we tend to have all these, like, things in our head about what we should or should not do. But we only have one life, you know? And, and, and you might as well just suck every little bit out of that life that you can and, and free yourself from the chains of society's expectations, really anyone's expectations. Because at the end of the day, the only person you're really accountable to is yourself. Yes. But I don't think women feel that way. Mm -mm. I think, I'm not saying men don't have struggles. They do. I mean, the burden of being the provider, being the strong one, that they absolutely have their struggles. And I don't mean to minimize that. But I think as women, we tend to put so much pressure on ourselves to fulfill so many different roles mm -hmm. that it, I just, I, I feel like we set ourselves up. There, there's no way to feel successful yeah. with all the pressure and all the things we put on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest ones is how we look. Yeah. You know, what do we look like? And, and, and our society does fairly or not fairly reward you if you look a certain way mm -hmm. and punish you if you look a different way. Yeah. Pretty privilege is definitely out there. And it's <laughs> definitely out there. And I think in some ways it's interesting because the pretty privilege, it's like, do you people in, in a lot of ways, everything comes so easily to them. Mm -hmm. They don't have to dig, and I'm not saying pretty people aren't, don't have other gifts and other talents, but society rewards you just for how you look. Mm -hmm. you but know? there's also a lot of cynicism from those women that are beautiful. Yeah, are, people look, yeah. Because you get this attitude towards you, and it, I'm sure you're just, for those you're women, just a like, trophy. it's so frustrating, you know, yeah. like, to be looked at and admired. I have a mind, like, I have a brain, like a Marilyn Monroe. Yes. I mean, you know, you, People judge you based on how you look, mm -hmm. and they don't look past that. Yeah. Not everyone, but some yeah. people do. And so I there's think that's a struggle a on both sides. Yeah, you're right. Sure. And it's hard to. Everyone has struggles. Mm -hmm. No one doesn't have struggles. We all have struggles. The grass is always greener on the other side. And yeah. I think we all have to acknowledge that no one's life is perfect. Mm -hmm. Nobody doesn't have struggle. But I would like to see women more on the same side of things and support each other than decide that we have to tear somebody else down or decide that we're not on the same side because we are. All right, last thing I want to ask you is rumble. What do you think women want most in their lives? Hmm. I would say fulfillment. So whether that is your career, your passion, like you want to have a life of intention, a life that means something. And I think because of our culture, for a lot of women, that means in relation to other people, right? So, like, right. helping other people, loving other people, teaching other people. Um, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be a very personal, career-oriented, but I think a life of intention, even not just for women, but for everyone, is, is the goal to get there. Yeah, I think women, um, I think they, a lot of women want validation. Yeah. Validation that they've made the right decision in their life, that they've made the right choices for themselves. I don't know that it's out there, mm -hmm. but I still think we want it. Yeah. You know? Because I think it's part of the female thing of looking outward mm -hmm. for validation instead of looking inward. Well, and I think that's why a life of intent for a lot of women is that 
idea of helping other people, right. you know, because then if someone else succeeds because you've helped them, that's a form of validation, you know, so mm-hmm. like most teachers are women, you know, like just different fields like that where you help other people, most nurses are women, like you feel validated if you have helped someone else succeed or learn something or grow, you know. Right, which is a valuable thing to offer society. It is, yeah. Um, I just want ourselves on the list. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think we have to sacrifice one for the other. Yeah. Like, it's okay to have ourselves on the list at the top of the list because it's like the oxygen mask analogy. Mm -hmm. You can't really help someone else until you've got your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. And I kind of think about that a lot. I think it's okay to want to nurture and and do all for others, but I think if you're not taking care of yourself first and foremost self-care then I don't know how much you have left over because I think it's too easy to put yourself at the bottom of the list and then you get burnt out and then you get sort of run down and ragged and then just grumpy Mm -hmm. and Susanna has a beautiful column in this week's edition of the rumble the first edition of rumble about martyrdom and motherhood inspired from Glennon Doyle's book about how you know that's taught that you give everything to your children as a mother. You are a martyr. But unlearning that in the sense that you can give so much to your children and Mm -hmm. still be your own self and still fight and grow and want for yourself, and that's not bad. Like, that is good, that's healthy, and for your children to see a woman who goes for what she wants, who grows herself, who progresses through life is just as valuable as you giving all of your time and energy to them. You know? Yeah, I agree. Because I think, what lesson are you teaching your daughters? Yeah. If you sacrifice and you're a martyr all the time, you're telling mm-hmm. them that's what they have to do. Yeah. So we have to remember, we're, we lead by example as parents, whether we want to or not, mm-hmm. you know, because we tend to mimic what we see. Yeah. And so I think as parents, we our kids have to learn that, yes, you, they're awesome, but they're not... You know, like they're this—they're only the center of the universe to a certain extent. Yeah. Because then all you do is set them up for this idea that when they go out in the world, oh, everything revolves around me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess what? It doesn't. Yeah. So my most present example of teaching young women are my young cousins, Max and Daly, because they are both school age. Daly's fourteen, turning fifteen. Uh-huh. Max is around nine, and their mother is a partner at a law firm in Asheville. But she's also such a loving mother, and she gives them everything. But she also has advanced her career to become a partner in her law firm. And watching those girls grow, it's like they are magnificent young women, you know? And they really understand, I feel like, that separation between not even separation, but the how you can live a life of aspiration and self-oriented goals and also love and care for other people and nurture other people. And one thing Julie always calls them out on is if they ever say like, oh gosh, I'm so stupid or, oh, I shouldn't have done that. She's like, no, you are a smart young woman. Don't talk about yourself like that. And that's one of my favorite things to yeah. watch her say to them. Yeah, because making a mistake doesn't mean you're stupid. Right. It means you made a mistake. Yeah. Learn from the mistake. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. And I remember my mother-in-law saying to me early on, um, was it's the quality of time you spend with your children, not the quantity of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think we have this idea we're not supposed to work and have a career, that we have to be with our kids all the time. But I don't, I'm, you know, it's like, but our it, quality time is as important as the quantity of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're if you're sacrificing your own dreams 
you know, for your kids, I, I, I think you end up resenting, you know what I mean, them and what your situation when, you know, there's a way to find balance if it's really what you want to find. I think yeah. your kids can kind of respect that. Yeah. All right, Hannah, thank you for joining thank me Thank you today. for having me. This has been wonderful. Yeah, so thanks for joining us for Namaste Real um, with Hannah McLeod mm -hmm. and um, her new um, newsletter called Rumble, the first um, the first edition came out today. Thursday, yes. And so will it, will it, how often will it come out? It will come out weekly. It's a weekly women's okay. newsletter. So yes. the next one will come out um, every Thursday. Uh -huh. Is that the date it comes out? Yes. So look for Rumble to come out every Thursday. You can sign up for the newsletter through the Smoky Mountain News website, correct? Yes, you can. Yes, and then feel free to join us again for Namaste Real. Thank you guys. See you next time. Thank you.